people who know how to enjoy what they do. And in fact, you're probably familiar with the circles of friends that you have or even in the business that you find yourself involved in on a weekly basis, that there are a lot of people who have come to the, to the point in their life where they feel like they should just endure it and not enjoy it. And they've kind of resigned themselves to that fact that life is not enjoyable, it's just endurable. And in fact, you do a lot of uh, strange things. There was a, a story about uh, some students at the University of Pennsylvania who if you've ever been in a college class or you've ever been in a lecture series and you've had a professor who is an absolute, oh, I mean, just a killer to sit and try to listen to, then you know what endurance is all about. And uh, rather than just trying to endure the series, they decided they were going to come up with some way to enjoy it. So what they did was they divided, and it would be real hard to do it, and, and uh, it'd be hard to do it and, uh, in, in this room, in this setting. I just don't want to miss anything, man. I just hate it when you guys are seeing stuff going on here, and I'm missing it, because cause I could use it as an illustration or, or something. I know that there's, there's something I can use it for somewhere along the line. So if, if you... Uh, if you think of something, it reminds me of a story, and this is way off, it's, it's, this, isn't even the, this isn't even the original story, but it's a story about, um, if you remember Paul Horning used to play for the Green Bay Packers, well Paul Horning had a problem, and one of the problems was he just couldn't remain in his room for curfew. And so what he'd do is, once it was 11 o'clock and there was time to be in bed, the coach would come around and check the room, he wasn't in his room, he'd be out on the town, and Paul Horning had that kind of reputation, if you know anything about him. Well, every time he'd go out, he'd get fined. And this was back in the early 60s. He got fined 250 bucks first night he was out. Second night, they come to check his room. He's out again. They fine him $500. Coach Lombardi's going crazy. He's screaming at him. He's saying, Horning, the next time you go out, it's going to cost you 750 bucks. They check his room. Third night in a row, he's gone. 750 more dollars. Finally, Lombardi's frustrated. He sits down with Horning. He says, listen, the next time you go out, it's going to cost you a thousand bucks. And if you can think of anything worth a thousand dollars, you come, wake me up, I'm going with you. <laughs> so, I had nothing to do with anything that's going on except the fact that we're so amazed by people walking by a window. It's an incredible thing. In fact, well, you know what? See, so you know how to enjoy life. You probably sit at home and just look out your window and watch people drive up and down the street. Well, this is a blast. Anyway, what these students did at the University of Pennsylvania, rather than just enduring these lecture series, they had a lecture hall that was divided right down the middle. And he was one of those cliche-ridden professors that had all these hackneyed expressions, and uh, one of them would be like, and furthermore, and quite frankly, you know, that type of thing. So what they decided to do was they split the room in half. They had an aisle down the middle, they had one half over here, one half over here. They decided they'd play baseball for the semester. And each hackney expression was to be, represent a certain portion of baseball, for example. And furthermore, was a base hit. And quite frankly, was a strikeout. And, and, um, you know, and, and, uh, and they went on like that. Well, anyway, they played baseball for the whole semester. And they got down to the last week, the last lecture series, the last class. And the impossible happened. They were in the, top of the, they were in the bottom of the ninth, and they were tied up. <laughs> and they had half the room that was split up. And silently, they were vigorously playing this game for the whole semester. And what happened was the impossible happened. He said a word the first time he said it the whole season, and it was a home run. This half of the room stood up <laughs> right as he concluded his lecture and was screaming and yelling, ah, they were going crazy. And the other half was sitting there all dejected. <laughs> and, and later on in a faculty meeting, he couldn't figure out why only half of his class responded the way they did to his lecture series, and the other half just didn't seem to be into it. 
And uh, I thought about that because every time that the, the choir gets up to leave every week, I think about that story and wonder what it really means. <laughs> but the bottom line was, that how, how, do you, how do you enjoy what you do? How do you enjoy what you do? You know, we come up with all these little games and we throw off conf confusing signals to people as if somehow their response, they enjoy what they're doing. But in, in reality, they really don't. See, all of us like to play a game. We rarely expose ourselves, we're rarely transparent, and very rarely are we vulnerable. So what we do is we play a game, we put on a mask, and we pretend like we're really enjoying things. But in the, in the solitude of maybe just a handful of friends, we let them know how much we really hate what's going on around us. And so we begin to see that there are more and more people who don't enjoy what they're doing. Isn't that true where you're at? People complain constantly as if they have nothing to enjoy in life. Nothing. So we're going to take a look at something very simple, and that is how to enjoy what you do. I mean, we're here. We might as well make the most of it, and it may as well be enjoyable. You know, and I enjoy what I'm doing. I love this. I love what I'm doing. Sometimes by the look on your face, I don't think you like being here. <laughs> you ever notice that? And, and it makes me wonder for a moment, are we so geared in our society to endure that we can't enjoy? Now, if I was sitting there and I didn't like what was going on, I wouldn't be here. Right? Amen. Well, thank you very much. But you're here. And so, and I know you're not in a choir, and if I see you leaving early, then I'll know what's going on. But the question is, what in the world are we being told will bring enjoyment in life? Before we can see what the answer is, let's see what the answer isn't. And you tell me if this isn't true in your experience. What are we being told will bring enjoyment in life? What are we being told? How about this? Okay, money. We said money, that falls under the category of materialism, right? We're being told this path to frustration is the one that says the advertisers get together and they try to make us uh, discontent with where we're at and what we have because it's not new, it's not improved, it's not bigger, it's not better. It's not the state of the art. I like that one. That's the best one that's coming out now. This is the state of the art. And so what they try to do is convince us that somehow enjoyment in life will be found in the things that we possess. And so we frantically go about trying to find things to fill this void that we have in our life that we're not enjoying life. So the answer to the problems that we all have is that we need to buy more things. And this basic philosophy says this, hey, you know what? Possessions will satisfy you. Go after them. Get them. Get as many as you can. And that's why we launch out on a crusade to go and buy a new house, you know, an, another car, a nicer car, a newer car, another boat, another this, another that, and all these things. And we get them all, and we're frustrated. Because they didn't do what they claimed they'd do. And it just, frankly, it disgusts us. And then we wonder, what's it going to take to enjoy life? We're being convinced that the license plate frame, and we've all seen it, we're being convinced that he who dies with the most toys wins. Isn't that true? And so we're, we're pursuing that in our lives, and we try to accumulate that because we're being told, if we believe that, then we'll be truly happy. That'll do it. Problem is that, you know, Solomon found out that uh, that's not true. In Ecclesiastes 2, you can turn to Ecclesiastes just to, for the sake of finding it because we're going to get to it a little later. But it's right after Proverbs. In the second chapter, he already went through all this. 
And the question that I have, and that I want to throw back to you, is the question that he brought up, and that is this. Why, if material things will bring joy into our life, are we continually looking for new things? It's a very simple question, and you don't even have to think too hard about it. But stop and think about this. Why, if material things should bring joy into your life, are you not content with the material things that you have and are in pursuit of more things? And many of us have more things than we've ever had before. And yet we're still pursuing more things beyond that. See, that's what Solomon was saying in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. If you remember back, he says, you know what? I possessed flocks, herds larger than all who preceded me. I planted trees. I had ponds of water, irrigation. I collected for myself silver, gold, the treasure of kings and provinces, jewelry. I provided for myself all these things. You know what he said? In verse 11, And then I considered all the activities with my hands that had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And you know what? It was all vanity. It was a joke. It was a waste. It didn't do what the advertisers promised me that it would do. It just didn't do it. There's a rich guy, and we, and we know him as the rich young ruler. In Mark chapter 10, you read about it on your own. But there was a rich guy that came to Jesus one day. A young guy, had a lot of possessions, and was buying into this philosophy. Materialism, man. If I can just accumulate, then I'm going to be happy. I'm sure of it. And he went up to Jesus one day and said, Hey, Lord, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to right, be right before God? How can I get into heaven? Jesus said, well, you know, obey the commandments. Do this, 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 and this. And the guy said, hey, man, I've done all those things even from when I was a child. I, I knew that I did that. And he said, oh, okay, there's one other thing that you need to do. Sell all your possessions and come and follow me. The kid looked at him, turned around, and said he was grieved and walked away. Do you know why? Because Jesus said, because he was a man who had many material things. The irony of what God tries to teach us is that which we try to possess to bring happiness ends up ultimately possessing us, leading us to frustration. If you and I are to ever enjoy life, as God says life is meant to be enjoyed, we've got to destroy this myth right now as we meet this morning and leave here convinced that material things will never bring the enjoyment that we're looking for in our life. We've got to be convinced of it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And it's no wonder as I look around in our society that we've got many people who should know better or are absolutely frustrated and can't stand the life that they're living. And they've got stuff coming out their ears. A lot of it. And they hate life. Sad, isn't it? Second thing is, that leads us down the path of frustration, is what's called Epicureanism, which in a nutshell basically says this, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Hey, baby, life's a party. Let's just go for the gusto. And that's what we're being told will bring enjoyment to our life. And, and it used to be eat, drink, and marry for our diet. We call it, if it feels good, do it. And then somehow we slide this little phrase in there. It's like, well, if it feels good, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. As if somehow we are isolated in and of ourselves, that if we go after things that make us feel good, it won't hurt people around us. Now stop and think about this for a second. Do you know any guy who ever left his wife and his kids to chase that dream of running away with his secretary because it felt good, so he did it? And do you know that they're not hurt by any of it? They're not shattered by any of it. Certainly they, they weren't hurt by it. Or how about the uh, grandparents, and some of you are in that position, who are, have the responsibility now of providing for basic needs of your grandchildren because you've got kids who've adopted the mentality of, hey, you know what, life's a party, I work hard, and I'm going to meet all my own needs just so it feels good, I'm going to do it. 
and you got to take up the slack and you got to pick up where they left off because they developed this carefree philosophy in life of your responsibility. And you know what? And it also goes the other way. How many kids do you know as they grow up are responsible now to take care of their parents who lived that lifestyle that said, hey, you know what? I might not be around tomorrow anyway, so I'm going to spend every dime that I make. And hey, if I am, I am, and I'll deal with it then. And the kids are the ones who get stuck picking up because of this carefree mentality that we've adopted that says, hey, just please yourself. It doesn't hurt anybody else. I've got a guy that I work with. His wife ado adopted this, and it's called New Age now. But new age, new age, nothing. There's nothing new about it that's just packaged a little different. And it's the same philosophy that says, hey, if, if it feels good, do it. Don't be accountable to anybody. Don't worry about anybody else. You only go around once, so go enjoy life. I've got a guy that I work with whose wife adopted this mentality. She left him because she wanted to e express herself, to find herself. And I tried to tell her before she left she wasn't lo worth looking for. <laughs> but... but <laughs> But in a nice way, I mean, you know, as nice as you can say that. Because, she, well, and I only meant that when she finds what she's looking for, it's not going to be what she thought it was. And you know what? And he's, and he's traumatized by it. You talk about emotional damage. See, the problem is that this, this philosophy is a crock. So it is, in a nutshell. And we're being convinced to buy into it. It's kind of like live for the moment. I heard a song on the radio the other day, and I couldn't believe what I heard, and so I got a copy of the lyrics, and it was written by a guy whose name is Peter Cetera. Peter Cetera was a lead singer with a group that called itself Chicago for many years, and now he's a soloist. He's out there on his own. He wrote this song in conjunction with a man named Patrick Le Leonard, and I want you to listen to this because it is the essence of what this philosophy conveys. It says, moment by moment, day after day, trying your best to forget. It's all behind you. It's part of the past. You've got no time for regrets. Time to start over with somebody new. You've got nothing more to lose. Out for the evening, dressed for the kill, leaving your troubles behind. Dangerous places, dangerous times, leave with the first one you find. Live for the moment. Who cares if it's right? Who needs tomorrow when you've got tonight? There in the dark, under covers of love, body language has taken you somewhere you shouldn't go, First name, the last thing that you need to know. In the morning, you're out on the street. Now's not the time for regrets. Some things are just done for the thrill of it all. Some things you'll never forget. Live for the moment. Who cares if it's right? Who needs tomorrow when you've got tonight? And that is the essence of the philosophy that we're being bombarded with. That if, you know what? It's enticing. It is enticing. It gets old after a while to be responsible. It gets old after a while to meet the needs of the people that are around you. And so this kind of subtly slips into your mind, and it is enticing. And so we fall and we go down this path. But you know what's amazing? I, and I listen to these lyrics, and I underline things that I couldn't help get out of my mind. And they're things that they thought of that are problems, but they tried to ignore them, and they couldn't do it because it's laced all through the lyrics. And that is, hey, trying your best to forget. Trying your best to forget. You got no time for regrets. Troubles, dangerous, dangerous times, dangerous places. Doing someplace, going someplace you shouldn't go. Now's not the time for regrets. Some things you'll never forget. If you've ever gone down this path, you've got regrets. You've got things you're trying to forget and you can't do it. And so you're frustrated, you're, you're confused, 
you're anxious, and you're hurt. And also, you can be bitter, too, because you were sold a bill of goods that didn't pay off. And so this Epicurean philosophy says, hey, baby, have fun. And it doesn't matter how you do it, and it doesn't matter who you hurt. But you know what's amazing? God has placed in us a conscience that says, you're going to hurt if you do it. You're going to have regrets if you do it. You're going to have frustration if you do it. And so it's not a matter of trying to ignore those things because those things can't be ignored. And they summed it up. There's a non-Christian guy who writes a song and says, you know what? Some things you'll never forget. Will God forgive us? You better believe it. We always have that at, as, as, at our means and at our disposal that we got a loving God who will allow us to, to be forgiven for what we've done. But if you're going down this path, I just tell you right now, you better obliterate it today because you'll never enjoy life doing it that way. And the third one is the school of humanism that says that, you know what, man, I'll tell you what, we are the world, we are the children, we're the ones that will make a brighter day, so let's start giving. And it goes on to say, it's true, we'll make a better world, just you and me. Right. And that's the one that says that there is no such thing as human depravity and that we are all really good, and we all have potential, and we're all going to do what's best for each other, and that's why this world is so messed up. <laughs> so it's like, wait a minute, you know, where's the evidence for some of these isms that we're looking at here? The evidence is overwhelmingly against it, and yet these are the things that we hear. We're good enough, we're strong enough, we're capable enough, we're smart enough, and we'll be able to overcome it, and let's do it. This isn't new. The Tower of Babel displayed this when they said, hey, let's go ahead and build it because we are something special. And God says, uh, no, you're not. The only way you become special is through a right relationship with me. And humanism will never do it. And that it's like uh, they, they try to teach you that we're the masters of our soul, you know, kind of the captains of our ship, the masters of our fate, and that somehow or another we'll be able to do it. And all i got to say to you is that we won't be able to do it. We need help. We need help. And Solomon recognized that. You know why? Because over and over throughout this book, you know what he said? Hey, I don't know about you, but I don't got a good handle on tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know how long I've got. And I don't care if somebody tells me I'm the master of my ship, there's a couple things in my life that I have no control over, and it becomes pretty obvious that we aren't the masters of our own fate, and that our fate is in the hands of God. But see, that's totally radically different contrary to what this says. They would have you believe that we have the, we're the masters of our own fate. Well, gee whiz, I don't know. Ask Sammy Davis and ask Jim Henson and ask Joe Ireland and ask them if they are the ones who controlled the day that they checked out. You know what I'm saying? Well, the evidence is overwhelming. What's it going to take? How many more people have got to die for us to realize we don't have control over our own boat? The last one, if you've been on the other three paths, you're going to end up on this one. And this one just says, man, you know what? The, the game's fixed. I'm throwing in the towel. I have no control over anything. I've got more material things than I know what to do with. And I'm not happy. And that's not working. And now I've tried the philanthropy approach. And I've tried to give. And I've tried to be generous. And I've built a wing at this hospital. And I've done this. And I've given to this cause. And I've given to that one. And I've run this walkathon, And I've done this. And, blah, 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 and all these things. And you know what? And I still don't have any enjoyment in my life. And so I guess that there's just no way you can enjoy life. The sad thing that many of us here are at that point in our lives. Well, can't enjoy it, might as well endure it. It's sad. It's sad. How many people, how many of you, 
would love to start enjoying life? How many of you would love to start enjoying life? Be honest with you. Oh, good. No wonder we got a problem here. How many? <laughs> there's four people's hand went up. <laughs> the rest are all fatalists. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> it'll never work. There's no reason to even raise my hand. The game's fixed. I don't want to raise my hand. I'm depressed. I'm trapped. I'm destined for misery, a dreadful existence, and I know it because I'm here once again. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I don't know if I'll ever get out of this cycle. No. Would you like to enjoy life? Would you like to enjoy life? Was, that, was it okay? You're allowed to smile and stuff. It's okay. I mean, what, you got baptized in vinegar or what was the deal here? You can enjoy life. It is okay to enjoy life. But you know how you're going to enjoy life? You got, your, you got your Bible open? There's the answer. And it, and it goes even deeper than that. You got your Bible open? Uh, turn to the last chapter, chapter 12. We'll look at, this is the way I got through school. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like... I, I, yeah, you know, you get to the last chapter, you get the conclusion, and you kind of can figure out how they got there. And you hope that you can kind of hit at the right place. But, but here, here's the conclusion. Someone says, hey, you want to enjoy life? Here it is, in a nutshell. You ready? This one won't sell too many books. And this one won't be on too many talk shows. And this one, none of us are going to want to hear. Because you're going to look at this and go, this doesn't make any sense at all. Which is good. That's why you're here. Because if you understood all this stuff, we wouldn't even need to meet. <laughs> so, anyway. You know what I said? Here's the conclusion. When all has been heard, everything that I taught you, everything that's in this book, everything that's here. When all has been heard, but we still got like four more weeks to go, so come back next week. <laughs> when, when, when all has been heard, here it is. Fear God. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or bad. Okay, you ready for this? This is good stuff. Here's three ways to get maximum enjoyment out of life. Okay, turn back to chapter 8. Three ways to get maximum enjoyment out of life. And this is going to just confuse most of us. Because here's what you've got to be asking yourself as you think about this. How can I enjoy life by fearing God? seems like a paradox, doesn't it? Anytime we fear anything, we think if we fear it, then we can't enjoy it. So I'm saying that God says this. If you want to enjoy life, fear God. And you're going, I don't know how this is going to work. Well, good. That's why you're here. So here's how it's going to work. Ready? Look at verse 10, chapter 8. So then I've seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in a city where they did this. And this too is futility. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God and who fear Him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man and it will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. There is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. So I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on earth, even though, no, even though one should never sleep night or day, and as I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, 
he too cannot discover. Are you ready for this? Three ways to get maximum enjoyment out of life. And we'll go through them one at a time and we'll see what's going on. Number one, remember your accountability to God. You want to enjoy life? Remember your accountability to God. Everything you do, everything you say, every act that you take, you've got to filter it through my accountability before God. Every decision that we make, are you following this? Because if you do this, God promises that it will be well with you, that you will enjoy life. But there's some problems that we've got to face, and, and, and uh, there's four issues. The first problem, and the problem that we all wrestle with, and something that will just drain the joy right out of your life, is the problem of how the wicked are treated. Look at verse 10. He said, So then I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in a city where they did this. This too is futility. The Living Bible says this, I have seen the wicked buried, and as their friends returned from the cemetery, having forgotten all the dead man's evil deeds, those men were praised in the very city where they had committed their many crimes. How odd it is. You know what will take joy right out of your life? Is to see people around you who are wicked, evil people, who have jerked people around their whole life, and then to be praised as if somehow they led a good life. Isn't it amazing what a cemetery will do? You get some cheese ball who lived his whole life just a crusty cheese ball. He lived his whole life that way. He was selfish. He hurt people. He took advantage of people. He was rude. He was manipulative. And they stick him in the ground. And these idiot people will walk away from there saying, Boy, well, sure going to miss him. <laughs> I just want to go, Sure going to miss him? Sure going to miss him? Man, what is your problem? Are you an idiot? Don't say you're sure going to miss him. I'm glad to see him go. Oh, gee, look, see, you're the people all saying, sure, you're going to miss him, huh? Because, oh, yeah, Joe, well, glad to see him go. That sure is harsh. Well, you know why? I'll tell you why, because here's what happens. That it drains the joy out of your life when you see people who get away with evil who then praise for what they did. And these people were hypocrites that went in and out of the temple. It says that, oh, here, I've seen the wicked buried. Those who used to go in and out from the holy place put on kind of a, a righteous smile, go into the temple and pretend they're all part of the group. And then they go out and live like hell the rest of the week. And then when they die, we walk away from the cemetery saying, oh, sure, you're going to miss them. They sure were good people. Man, I'll tell you, it frustrates you. When you see people who are wicked that are getting away with it and then hear people praising them, you've got to start asking yourself a question. Well, why should I keep on walking down the narrow path? Because if I could be a cheese ball all my life and you're all going to say good things about me after I'm dead, what's the incentive? What's the incentive? See, that's the problem. So the first, first problem is, he says that, hey, you know what? This too is futility. It's vanity. It's ridiculous is what it is. Not the judgment of the wicked, but the futility of praising wicked people for the way they live their life. Then he goes on and says there's a presumption that comes with it. You know what the presumption is? And here's where we're getting all kind of trouble. The presumption is that you can get away with sin without being judged. You follow this? You've got to follow this train of thought because I'm trying to give you a clue why you're not enjoying life. You see, p wicked people doing what they do and they get praised for what they're doing. You've got to start thinking, man, you know what? Why am, I why am I keep on going the path that I'm going? So then he says, look at verse 11. See, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, what happens? The hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. You know what? I wish 
that this would be the life verse for anybody who's in our judicial system. Stop and think about this for a minute. Why in the world do people continue to do what they're doing? Why do you think crime has gone rampant? Why? I'll tell you why. Solomon says it. God knows it. He said this. When you don't execute justice immediately, the hearts of men will be prone to do evil. Why? Because they're seeing people get away with it. They're getting away with it. Hey, you want to jerk some people around in business? You see somebody go bankrupt three and four times and you decide, hey, guess what? I'm going to do the same thing. Why? Because we've got a system that promotes it. I'm going to do the same thing. And we see people getting away with it all the time. So we begin to presume that, one, God's indifferent. He doesn't really care about what's going on one way or the other. Or maybe, two, he's helpless to do anything. Because if he could do something, don't you think he would do something? And since he's not doing anything, then he must not really care. And so you go through it, or maybe God shows favoritism. Maybe some people could be wicked and get away with it. And other people, once they try to do one thing, and I was like, that. it's like, first time I ever tried to do one thing wrong, I got caught. You ever hear somebody say that? It's kind of like, and this guy's been doing it all the time, and he never gets caught. First time I tried to cheat on my taxes, I got audited. Can you believe it? And I know other people have been cheating all their life, and they haven't got audited one time. It just isn't fair. Isn't that what it is? It just isn't fair. Isn't it? Oh, God protected cheese ball, number one, but not cheese ball, number two. See, that's the presumption that we start to make. And it kind of leads to that. The third thing that he says is, hey, you know what? Remember your position as a believer. Remember your position. Look at verse 12. He says, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God and who fear Him openly. One thing is when you start to forget the promises of God for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. God says it over and over again. He will protect us. He will bless us. He will meet our every need. He is preparing a place for us. And if it wasn't so, He wouldn't have told us that. And He's going to come back again and He's going to receive us as His own. Promise after promise after promise is, is laid out to those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. We cannot forget our position in Christ or it will take the joy right out of our life. When you stop forgetting the promises that God has made to His people, then you will not enjoy life whatsoever. But you want to put a smile right back on your face? Then you get in here and you read all the promises that God's made to those who are positionally right in Christ. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. We will never have to pay one day for sin that will separate us from, from eternity from a loving God. We will never have to pay that price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross. What's it going to take for us to begin to remember our position in Christ to bring joy back in our lives? While the whole world goes to hell, and while everything falls apart around you, you can keep on smiling because you know positionally you are sound in Christ. You are safe in His hand. What can separate you from His love? Romans 8, read it sometimes, nothing. And you go through and say, hey, positionally, we've got to remember who we are as believers in Christ. And then the fourth thing that will help us remember also is this, that guess what? It will not be well for the evil man. He will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. It's not going to be well for those who don't do things God's way. But we look for immediate retribution. We look for immediate justice, and it doesn't happen. 
And so when we see people getting away with it, then we want to do the same thing. And many of us have fallen into sin in our lives because we see people around us sinning, thinking that they're getting away with it, so we begin to adopt their ways as if somehow we will not pay a price for the sin that we're involved in. God is a just God. He will punish everyone who violates His principles. And I'll tell you, you know, the people that I see as Christians who aren't enjoying life are the ones who are trying to enjoy life outside of the will of God. They're the ones that are violating every one of His principles, saying that I see everybody else doing it and getting away with it. And it seems like from the outside they're enjoying it. I'm going to adopt the same policy and philosophy in life, and now I'm going to do the same thing. And you know what? And they're sapped of all the joy that was in their life. Why? Because there's a war that wages within your members. If you've come to know Christ and He lives within you and indwells you, and you try to live a life that's not pleasing to God, and you try to sin, then the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of what's going on in your life, and He drives you crazy. So there's a war that's constantly going on. You can't enjoy life if there's a war going on in your life over doing things that you know aren't pleasing to God. There's no joy there. And why does it happen? Because there's a progression. First of all, we see that wicked people are praised. Then we presume that we won't be judged. We can do whatever we want to do. And we forget our position in Christ. And so finally, we begin to live a life that's not pleasing to God, thinking that somehow God won't punish us. And when we begin to experience consequences, because he whom God loves, he reproves and disciplines as a father does a child, he won't let you go too terribly long before he steps in and kicks your rump. I heard it last week about butt, so I wasn't going to say it. So this is what happens. And so as you forget these things, this steals the joy right out of your life. We see the wicked people temporarily getting away with wickedness, and so we become embittered by it. And then, you know what else we do? We envy them. We envy them. We see people cheating in business, and we see them getting ahead, and they're making more money. We envy them. So we start to do the same thing. We see people using and manipulating people all around us, and we envy them. We see a guy who's cheating on his wife and doing all the things that he's doing, and we're mad at him, not because he's sinning, but because he's doing something that we wish we could get away with. That's the way we are. And then we wonder why we don't enjoy life. God says, you know what? You want to enjoy life? I'll give you the first clue on enjoying life. You remember your accountability to God, and you filter every decision that you make through whether he says it's right or wrong, and it will be well for those who fear God. Okay? Number two, realize the importance of today. Realize the importance of today. You ever see the movie? What was a movie, A Dead Poet Society? Remember that one? Remember he said, Seize the day. And I was going to stand up on top of this, but I, it wouldn't hold me. <laughs> but he said, Seize the day. Seize the day. You know what it says? Hey, look at that. There's a problem, and we need to carefully examine carefully what happens to both the righteous and the wicked. You got that? Look at it. There's futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I say this is futility. Okay, you know what he's saying in a nutshell? I see wicked people who are getting supposedly rewarded for their evil things. And I see good people people that love the Lord, who are walking according to His commandments, who fear God, and I see them drive down the freeway and get killed head-on in an accident with a drunk driver. I see that family dead, and I see the other family, or the other person who's driving, get a 30-day driver's license suspension because we certainly don't want to execute justice against them because we certainly wouldn't want to stop this insanity that's going on in our freeways and streets around us because we like to drink too, and we may be in that situation, so let's not be too stinking hard on the people that are there that are killing people in their car. Why? 
because we don't want to cast judgment on them. Well, fine, and, and let's not cast judgment on them, and let's just keep going out there and rolling the dice every time we get in the freeway. You know why? So he looks at this and he gets frustrated with all of it and it takes all the joy out of his life. But you know what Solomon finally concluded? Hey man, that's the way it is. I don't understand it and I can't figure it out. But I'm going to recognize that it's a truth, it's a universal principle of God and I'm going to accept it. I'm going to accept it. Not that you don't try to change it when it's wrong, but you know what? He went over and over and over and over again. He said, hey, it, it isn't going to change and it's all part of God's plan. Good people die young, cheese balls live a long time. And you know what's great about it? God's got it in control. He says, take a good hard look at it because it's a, it's a universal principle in life. So stop trying to lose sleep over it and stop enjoying life over it, but just recognize it's a fact and recognize it's part of the plan of God. He knows exactly what he's doing, even though we don't understand any of it. And then he goes on, he says, enjoy the common experiences of every day. Of every day. Verse 15. So I commended pleasure, for there's nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat, to drink, and to be merry. Now, it's not eat, drink, and to be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's not live any way <clears throat> that you please to. It's eat, drink, and be merry. It's enjoy the everyday common experiences of life. Enjoy them, because you know what? It may be the last time you ever do it. Maybe the last time you ever do it. Got another baseball story, but we don't have time for it. <laughs> but it's part of just enjoying life. Enjoy every experience of life. Do you enjoy every experience of life? You know, most of us don't. You know why? Because we bought into materialism and we can't enjoy a day off and just kind of kicking around or taking a walk along the beach because now we have to go on a 14-day cruise through the Caribbean to really enjoy life. Is that true? Yeah, you can't enjoy walking along the beach anymore. You can't enjoy one day off. You need three weeks off. You know, you can't enjoy a weekend. You need a month off. Why? Because we bought into materialism. And what Solomon's saying is that, you know what? Every day of your life is a gift of God. Let me just tell you one thing. Learned this at uh, DMV. But here's the way it goes. You know how they do that, that, that thing where, is driving, is driving a right or a privilege? You know that one, right? No? Well, what is it? Is driving a right or a privilege? Privilege. Very good. How'd you get your license? Oh, maybe you don't have it. Watch it. Now let me ask you something. Is life a right or a privilege? A privilege. And how do we know it? <laughs> it's a gift from God. And you don't know if you're going to be around five minutes from now. See, see, that's why we're not enjoying life. We presume upon the future. We act as if we are the masters of our ship, the captains of our destiny, that we really know what's going on in life. We don't have a clue. And that's why, let me just tell you this. When you get up in the morning, tomorrow morning, if you get up tomorrow morning, and I don't mean because you slept in because you're late. <laughs> I mean, you slept in for a long time. <clears throat> what, I'm saying, <clears throat> what I'm saying is this. When you get up in the morning, I want you to just try to do something a little bit different. And that is, praise God who makes it all possible. Praise God who makes it all possible. You know what that means? It means when you wake up in the morning and you're in a bed, I want you to go like this. Man, it is good to have this bed. And you look up and you see the ceiling. And you go, man, it's nice to have a roof over my head. Oh, man. And I don't know about you, but man, I gotta go to the bathroom. So, so you go into the bathroom, you go into the bathroom, and then you know what you can say? Man, it's nice to have indoor plumbing. And then you can go from there, and I go like this. Oh man, it's nice to have contact lenses. And then all the people know me, they say, it's nice that there is deodorant 
that there is toothpaste and there's a track two at your disposal. I love it. Hey, well, gee, now I'm at a loss, but I got clothes. Man, it's nice to have clothes to wear. I think I'll go downstairs. Ooh, I got a downstairs. Oh, it's nice to have a downstairs you can walk down to. And, and, and breakfast. I can have breakfast. And then I can get in a car. And I can go to a job. And, and, and it's nice to wake up next to your wife in the morning. <laughs> and, 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 and not even recognize who it is. <laughs> and, and, which brings up another point. Which brings up another point. It's nice to have makeup. Yes. A curling iron. A shower. What is it going to take? Yes. And a forgiving wife. It's nice to have all these things. Yes, that's right. That's what's nice. Man. And you know what's great about it? And God makes it all possible. And God makes it all possible. Oh, man, you know what? I'm having such fun right now. I'm just going to quit. Can, 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 can I just challenge you to think about what it's going to take to bring a smile back on your face? Man, we buy into all these isms that are around us and it just drains the life right out of us. You know what God says? Man, all you got to do is open your eyes and look around you and you got a lot of things to have a smile about. Man, God, help us to see it. And you know what's going to be interesting? When you got that smile on your face in a world that sees nothing worth living for, they have no hope, there is no future. They're afraid about tomorrow because they don't know whether we're going to blow each other up and just destroy this planet and ruin the rain forces and have nuclear fallout and acid rain and all these things that are going around and starvation and none of us are going to live and we're all going to be obliterated. If we don't try to do something, we can't do anything. But we can turn to the God who made us. We can trust in Him because we know He's got it under control. And we can praise His holy name every day you get up because it's a privilege, it's a gift from God, and it's not your right. I'll tell you what, when you start doing that, you're going to have a world of people around you who are looking for, for some future, for a hope, and you know what the Bible says? You've got to be ready to be able to give a defense for the hope that was within you. Because there's only one person that can bring a smile on our face and joy in our heart, and that's Jesus Christ. You've got to put your faith and trust in Him. And He'll make you a new person. And He'll change you from the, out, from the inside out. And He'll put a smile on your face as you remember the position that you have in Christ. The destiny that's secure, not because of anything you've done, but by grace through faith. It's a gift from God. Man, that's good stuff. Let's smile as we pray. Father, we just thank You for this time to be together. We just pray that we can see the futility of all the paths that lead to frustration. Materialism, Epicureanism, the philosophies that tell us that we've got control over our destiny and humanism, and finally fatalism, and that is that there's no place to turn and there's nowhere to go. Thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who gives us a reason for living, who is the hope within us and has secured our destiny by paying the price on the cross.
by raising from the dead to prove that he was Almighty God himself and by interceding for us on a daily basis. God, help us not to envy the evildoer, not to envy those who are wicked before you, but to keep in focus that all is well for those who fear God and obey your commandments. And we just thank you and praise you that fear, fearing you will bring joy to our life as it keeps us on the road, the road you designed, the path that doesn't lead to frustration, that doesn't lead to destruction, but that leads to genuine joy and satisfaction. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, pick up chapter 9, and we'll begin to discuss what people were talking about all week, and that is about death. What does the Bible have to say about death? Man, I'll tell you what, since we're all heading that way, I think it's probably applicable for all of us to come on back and see what's going on.